So after that time of worship, let me repeat Romans 11:36 before we go back to 1 Kings. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That's our prayer tonight for our God. 1 Kings 19. Thank you, Nicole, for leading us in worship tonight. 1 Kings chapter 19. We want to go back to this chapter, and then we're going to jump to 2 Kings for the next couple of weeks. And then we're going to end our Wednesday nights this year back in 1 Kings for one last message. Let me also share with you tonight, and I'll be talking more about this on Wednesdays and Sundays to come. I'm really excited about our Wednesday nights in 2021. We are going to be spending 2021 on Wednesday nights going through the entire book of Daniel and Revelation back to back. And Daniel and Revelation are two of you know, most Christians, you know, go-to books. And uh, we're going to be diving into both of those books, Daniel, and then right after Daniel, right into Revelation, covering every chapter, every verse, Daniel, Revelation, starting in 2021, the first Wednesday of January. Last week, we talked about the encouragement of God. Because after Mount Carmel... And the victory on Mount Carmel, Elijah went downhill really fast. He ended up being in a real state of discouragement, depression, disillusionment, disappointment. In fact, if you look here with me, I want to show you three phrases out of 1 Kings 19 to show us where Elijah is at. If you look, first of all, at verse 4. He says, now, O Lord, take my life. Let me die out here in the wilderness. He viewed the situation as hopeless. Many people get there today. Maybe you've gotten there. We've all gotten there maybe at one time in our life. Then look at verse 10 at the end. I alone am left, and now they want to take my life. He repeats that phrase at the end of verse 14. I alone am left. And now they, speaking of Ahab and Jezebel, want to take my life. Elijah was not in a good place. And we talked last week for a little bit about this, that part of it was because he was spiritually, emotionally, and physically drained. He had went through some spiritual battles. And you and I have to be careful that when we go through spiritual battles, that we are replenishing ourselves spiritually, emotionally, and physically Otherwise, we are vulnerable, very vulnerable to the enemy after especially great victories or great intense times of spiritual ministry and battle. And that's where Elijah was. But he was also there because, again, of his disillusionment. He had an expectation of the way things were going to go after Mount Carmel, and it didn't go that way. And because it didn't go that way, even though God didn't promise him it would go that way, he tanked. He got discouraged and disappointed. God never told him instantaneously the whole nation was going to turn around and start worshiping him and that Ahab and Jezebel were going to tuck their heads between their, you know, lay or tail between their legs and, and take off. God never promised him that. So when that didn't happen, Elijah thought he was a failure and that things just weren't working out as far as God was concerned. And the other thing I think factor, we saw this last week of why he was going to bring Elisha into his life, and we'll talk more about this later, is you'll notice again in verse 10 and in verse 14, he declares, I'm alone. I'm alone. I'm all alone. 
And when you and I feel like we're alone in anything, like we're isolated, because that's where the enemy wants us. He wants us to feel like God's very far away and there's nobody to support us. We don't have a partnership in our life. We don't have a, a, a go-to friendship in our life that we can lean on or whatever. That's a vulnerable place to be. So Elijah was experiencing this kind of depression and discouragement and all of that because of many, many different factors. It was, as we say, uh, like an onion. It had a lot of layers to it. And this did too. A lot of times you and I aren't experiencing the, the spiritual and emotional and, and physical you know, things just because of one thing. Usually it's a multiplicity of factors that come together that get us to this place. And that was certainly true of Elijah. But what I want to concentrate on tonight again is the encouragement that God gave. And in each of these, I want to go back a little bit because I didn't get a chance to really go into depth to it last week. I wanted to divide this message up into two parts because there was so much in 1 Kings 19. And you know, as I was thinking about it, I thought every one of these things are things you and I not only know that God uses in our life to encourage us, but that we can be thankful for. First of all is his provision. You'll notice after Elijah says, oh Lord, take my life, that he was in this wilderness. He, he had went into the wilderness, verse 4, about a day's journey. And we said that this very desert wilderness place that Elijah went to in verse 4 that's described there was the same place that the Israelites wandered around for 40 years in before they got to the promised land. Sometimes you and I are in the wilderness. It's a training ground just like it was for Elijah. I'm going to call it Wilderness University. And you know what kind of degree God wants us to come out of our Wilderness University with? a faith degree, because that's what Elijah needed to have. He needed to have his faith strengthened in the wilderness. And sometimes God will allow us to go into the wilderness to teach and train his followers just like he did Elijah. And you'll notice something here. When we run away, just like Elijah did, and we're in a bad place, God doesn't leave us there. God doesn't ignore us. God doesn't just shrug us off or write us off. God goes after us. I, I want us to remember that, that, that God always pursues us. His love can never let us go. And so he, he goes after us even when we're not in a good place and maybe even not in a good place with him. His love is constant, you see. Because of that, notice what happens. Elijah's in the wilderness, verse 5, he stretches out, falls asleep under the shrub, and all of a sudden an angelic messenger touches him and says, get up and eat. And he looked, and right there by his head was a cake baking on hot coals and a jug of water. He ate and drank and then slept some more. God provides. And notice, where was Elijah? He was in the wilderness. So this is telling us that just like with the manna that God provided for his people while they were in the wilderness, God was sending miraculous provision to Elijah. And I just want to remind us, God provides for us. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, 19, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. You and I just sometimes have to come to grips with what we think we need and what we really need. God will always provide what we need, but a lot of times our needs and our wants are sort of convoluted. 
God says, you can exist on much less than what you think you need, but he'll always supply what we need, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And God needs to be thanked for the provision. For everything that he gives us, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, everything that he's done for us, he provides for us. And I want you to, to be reminded of this. If you need a miracle in your life, if you need God to send supernatural, miraculous provision in your life, he can do it. He can do it spiritually, emotionally, and physically. He, he doesn't need to use conventional means to get that provision to us. He can do what he did with the nation of Israel. I'm just going to send bread out of heaven. Or uh, you're, you're in some remote place out in the middle of nowhere. I'm going to send an angel, and he's going to cook you a meal. But I'm going to get it to you. If, you. if you need it, I'll get it to you. There, there's... There's no obstacle or challenge to, to God getting to us what we need. God will make sure we have what we need, even if he has to do a miracle. No wonder God should be worshipped. Because who else can do that for us but God? God makes sure we have what we need. But I also want to talk a lot about this tonight. We not only have the provision of God, which encourages us, as it did Elijah. He, he just needed some good meals and some good sleep. He needed to sort of give his body and his mind a chance to recover, and we need to do the same thing. And God was okay with that. He was depleted, and he needed to take time to refresh himself in that way. But God also provided his presence. And that's something we can be thankful for. And it's, pre it's his presence that even though the Holy Spirit does live within us, that he wants us to learn to be conscious of at all times, not just at certain times. And I want you to see something here tonight in this passage. In five places, in the Hebrew, it is a same word. But in our English translations of the Bible, including the Net Bible, they translated the Hebrew word a little bit differently in some places. But it's the same Hebrew word, and it's a word that alerts us to God's present presence. You see, we, we talk about God's omnipresence, and that is amazing. Our God is everywhere. There, there's nowhere that you and I can go that God isn't there in some respect and in some way. But to me, what applies to my life and heart and, and keeps me going every day isn't so much God's omnipresence as it is God's present presence. Meaning, my God, who's running the universe and sustaining everybody else, is also very present with me and you. And he's just as present with you as he is with anybody else. That's, again, the crazy thing about our God, how wondrous he is. is he can give you full attention at the same time he's giving me full attention. You and I as human beings, we can't, we can't divide our attention like that. If we're locked on to something or someone, then we got to let something else go. God isn't like that in his being. And God was very present with Elijah in the wilderness, notice this. First word that lets us know about this, or words, verse 5, all of a sudden. He stretched out and fell asleep under the shrub, and all of a sudden, 
Behold, it's alerting us to God's ever-present presence. Notice also in that same verse the word touched. I'll come back to that in just a moment. Verse 6, he looked and right there, God's presence in supplying the food and the angel. Then if you go down to verse 9, all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to him. That's his presence right there. And then look at the word look in verse 11. Look, the Lord is ready to pass by. His presence is there. Then verse 13, all of a sudden, a voice asked him, why are you here, Elijah? In all those cases, those are words that speak about God was present with Elijah while he was in the wilderness, struggling with discouragement and depression and all of that. Why was God there? Because God was encouraging him with his presence. Whether it was sending an angel at one time, like he did in verse 5, an angelic messenger, and the Bible tells us that the angels of God are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to us who follow the Lord. But sometimes God doesn't just send an angel to minister. Sometimes God's present presence is right there with us, and he wants us to know that he is with us. And, and you and I can know that God is with us in our head. God wants us to feel that he is with us. God wants us to know that he is with us. With us. God wants us to be confident in his ever-present presence, and he wants us to learn to be conscious of his ever-present presence with us at all times, not just in certain situations or in crisis or when this. He wants us to learn that he is with us at all all times, just like he was with Elijah. And what was he there to do? To encourage his servant who wasn't in a good place. Keep your finger in 1 Kings 19. I want to take you to a couple verses in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 42, verse 3. These are both in Isaiah. Isaiah 42, verse 3. The first part of the verse. A crushed reed he will not break. A dim wick he will not extinguish. It's simply saying, you know, that that reed is like, you know, fallen over a little bit. God doesn't come along and break the reed. God comes along and tries to get it straightened back up again. He's gentle. He's tender. He's encouraging. A smoldering wick that's getting ready to go out, God doesn't come by and just go, ah, it's getting ready to go out and blow it out. No. God tries to get the fire going again. That's the kind of God that he is. See, when we're not in a good place, God comes along and he wants to encourage us. Then turn to Isaiah 57, 15. This is an amazing passage of Scripture because this reminds us again how great God is, yet in his greatness, he's willing to stoop down to whatever level we are and meet us right where we are, even when we're not doing well. God will come down to our level. Notice what it says in Isaiah 57, 15. For this is what the high and exalted one says, the one who rules forever, whose name is holy. We just sung about that tonight and worshiped to that tonight. But notice what he says. Yes, I dwell in an exalted and holy place. And we're glad of that because that means God rules and he reigns and he's in control. But notice, he also dwells with the discouraged and the humiliated, with those who are in pain in order to cheer up the humiliated and to encourage the discouraged. That's our God. That's what God was doing with Elijah. 
He came to the wilderness to meet Elijah when Elijah wasn't well. And he was sending him provision to encourage him, and he was also there with his presence. And in his presence, he was going to take this man who said, just let me die, and he was going to get him to a much better place where he could be used again because God wasn't finished with Elijah. And God was going to prop up his prophet and get him back serving again. And he did it by provision and by his presence. So if you look back at 1 Kings 19, notice a couple things. I want to start in verse 8. It says, so he got up and ate and drank, and the meal gave him the strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights until he reached, reached Oreb, the mountain of God, which is just another name for Mount Sinai. That's a sacred mountain. And by the way, we know 40 days and 40 nights is a significant time as well. But God gave him the strength to reach that destination. Whatever our destination is, on this earth, whatever God's will is, whatever God's calling is, he will give us the strength that we need to reach our destination. Now, while Elijah was on Mount Sinai, or Oreb, the sacred mountain of God, he went into a cave. But this wasn't just any cave. In fact, in the original Hebrew, it says he went into the cave. There was a cave that was known. Why was it known? Because it was the same cave or cleft of the rock that Moses met God on Mount Sinai. Whenever Moses said, show me your glory, and God said, my hind parts will pass by you. I can't reveal everything about you. You wouldn't live. Again, showing us God is infinite greater than we can ever imagine. Yet God will reveal what he can to us, to encourage us, to strengthen us. That's what he did to Moses. And now Elijah finds himself right back at the same place on Mount Sinai. And guess what God's doing here? The same thing he did with, uh, with Moses. He's passing by. His presence is there to encourage him. By the way, I told the folks Sunday, I would tell you, what the similarities was between Moses and Elijah and George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. So let me do that at this point. Why was Moses and Elijah chosen by God to be the ones to be on Mount, the Mount Transfiguration with the disciples and Jesus? Why are they chosen in the book of Revelation to come back as the two witnesses? Well, they're very similar in, in this way. Yes, God started physically, numerically, the nation of Israel with Abraham. But the nation, in a sense, did not get established, did not have a form to go by until Moses. So Moses, in a sense, is the marker of the start of the nation. God gave him the laws that the nation was going to need in order to exist. God gave him the standards of his people to live by. So Moses is sort of the George Washington, if you will, of Israel. Why Elijah the Abraham Lincoln? Because, remember, when Elijah comes along, 
the nation is divided. There's a northern kingdom now and a southern kingdom. And it looks like Israel's not going to make it. They're not going to last. They have so walked away from God and forsaken God that it's going to take an act of God and God alone to bring the nation back together again and to even have it survive. Who's the main player to keep the nation together and to get it back together again? It's Elijah. And when I think of our history, I think, you know, Washington maybe was key in starting the nation, but it was Lincoln who was the one who basically was there to preserve it at that point in history. That's why Moses is very similar in some ways to Washington, and Elijah is very similar to Lincoln. He was the one God called to help keep the nation together and to call the nation back to God. So it's the same place. And we know what it says. This powerful wind went by. And then in verse 11, after that was an earthquake. And then after that, there was this fire. But God was not in any of that. He was in this, verse 12, soft whisper, literally a gentle, calm voice. Several things. First of all, God will not yell to get our attention. God will not scream to get our attention. God wants us to learn to follow his gentle, calm voice. And God wants us to learn to be conscious of him, not just in the spectacular experiences like Mount Carmel, where fire comes down from heaven, He doesn't want us to just find him in the windstorms of life and in the fires of life and the earthquakes of life. He doesn't want us to just see him in the spectacular. He wants us to learn to be conscious of him in the stillness, in the quiet. And you and I, can I just say, as modern-day human beings, and then I'll even add modern-day Americans, we have a hard time with quiet and still. And yet it's the very place God wants us to learn to be conscious of him. We don't like nothing. Can I tell you that's why sometimes in our worship, Nicole just wants us to just be still or just stay at a certain place and not just keep rushing on or going to the next song or whatever, because God has his moments, and God has his teachable moments, and God has his times where he's just gently speaking in a very calm voice to our hearts. And if we just get caught up in the experiences and in the spectacular and in the smoke and mirrors and in all the, then we can't hear God. But there's another thing here about why God's presence appeared to him this way. The lesson is that God was quietly and sometimes imperceptibly at work. And that just because you and I can't see God working doesn't mean God's not working. 
We sing about that when we sing our song, Waymaker. And let me show you this truth from 1 Kings 19. Notice what God says to Elijah in verse 18. He says, oh, by the way, Elijah, you think you're the only one out there on the battlefield fighting? You think you're the only, you know, sometimes we as Christians think, are there any other Christians like us? Are there any other people of God like us? Sometimes we can start to feel like we're out there all by ourselves. And here's what God says. I still have left in Israel 7,000 followers who have not bowed their knee to Baal or kissed the image of him, which that was an expression of worship. God says, I, I still got 7,000. You might not know where they are. I do. He's, he's saying to Elijah, Elijah, you've got to learn something about me. It's not always what you can see. Sometimes there's a lot going on under the surface that I'm doing behind the scenes that one maybe day I will expose or bring to view, but it doesn't mean I'm not doing anything. I'm, I'm working in places and ways that you as a human being can't know of at this point, but that doesn't mean I'm inactive or I'm impotent or I don't know what's going on, or I'm not aware. I am. But you've got to learn to be conscious of me whenever things aren't all stirred up and that it's just quiet and still. I'm working there too, and you've got to learn to be conscious of me at that level. I think if we take nothing else out of tonight, that may be the most important personal application you and I can make out of this passage tonight, is to learn the ever-present presence of God in our life and being conscious of it at all times in our life and not just when we go through hard times or difficult times or crises or when spectacular things happen or even God brings miracles and all of that. And all of that's great and God is in all that, but God says most of the time, I'm not going to be in the windstorm of your life. I'm not going to be in the earthquake of your life. I'm not going to be in the fire of your life. You're going to have to find me through that gentle, calm voice that speaks to your heart that's there at all times. That's what I want you to walk by and be guided by and directed by and strengthened by. And so all of a sudden in verse 13, the voice of God asks him, why are you here, Elijah? <laughs> Because God wants him to begin to process. And this is actually the second time God asked him this. Because God didn't direct him here. God didn't lead him out into the wilderness. He went out there on his own. So God's like, uh, why are you here? I didn't bring you out here. You got here because that was your choice. And what brought you here? I want you to start processing this with me, right? Of course, Elijah's defending himself. He says, I've been absolutely loyal to the Lord, the sovereign God. Even the Israelites have abandoned him. They're in agreement with you. They've torn down their altars. They killed a I'm alone. I'm left. I mean, this is the, yeah, this is, this is what Elijah says, <laughs> right? And that's when the Lord said, go back the way you came. Let's start over again. Restart. And I love that because, again, our God is the God of the second chance. Our God is the God of the billionth second chance. We can always start over and start afresh and be renewed in our 
life with God. God says, go back, let's start over again. And he gave Elijah purpose to go anoint these three that would carry on the mission of purging Baal worship out of Israel and restoring proper worship to Israel. Purpose. God gives us purpose. And we should be thankful for that because that means every day you and I wake up as human beings, we never live our life as followers of God purposelessly. That's a tough one to say. Every day, you and I, if we are conscious of the presence of God in our life, we have a purpose. There's not a day that we live on this earth that we don't have a purpose with God. And that's something we should be thankful for because a lot of times what brings many human beings to a hopeless place is because they've lost their purpose. They don't know what their purpose is. They feel their life has no purpose any longer. And so they get to a very, very bad place. You and I never have to get to that place. We have the provision of God to encourage us. We have the presence of God that is ever present with us to encourage us. And we have the purpose of God in our life. What is God's purpose for you in this season of your life? You and I each need to answer that question because God has a purpose for us in this season. What is that purpose? What can get me up every morning and keep me going and keep me energized and, and keep me, you know, encouraged even in these days? What purpose has God given me? Live by the purpose of God. One other. He needed a partner, didn't he? Because there were other people that had not bowed to Baal, but not somebody that God brought literally alongside of Elijah that could be his partner in life and ministry. And that was where Elisha came in. Notice verse 19. And by the way, even their names, as well as their life and ministry, complemented each other. When you find your partners in life, they will be those who complement you. They fit with you. They, they will be a perfect complement and fit to your gifts, abilities, personality. They will fit. Elijah's name meant what? Yahweh is God, or Yah is God. Elisha's name means, oh, and by the way, that God is salvation. It's like even their names fit. Yahweh is God, and God is salvation. And so Elijah met Elisha while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen, and he was near the 12th pair. What's that tell us about Elisha? A couple things. One, He's not afraid of hard work, okay? He's out there working. Secondly, that many oxen means he was from a wealthy family, okay? You, you didn't have 12 pair of oxen. I mean, you, if you did, then you were pretty well off. Why that comes into play is a little bit later. Elijah passed by him and threw his robe over him. His robe was the symbol of his office as a prophet of God. So in a sense, Elijah is symbolically calling Elisha to join him in prophetic ministry. Remember back in the Call of God series, I said sometimes God will use us to be his instrument to call others to their calling. Verse 20, he left the oxen, ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and mother, goodbye, nothing wrong with that, and I'll follow you. Notice how decisive 
And unhesitatingly, Elisha left. He left a good life. He would have, in that day and age, he would have had all the comforts that anybody could have. His family was very well-to-do, and now he was leaving it all behind and going to now live a life of faith that God would provide for him while he and Elijah are out there doing the ministry that God called them to. Elijah said to him, go back and say goodbye to your father and mother. And then he says this, very curious, indeed, what have I done to you? You know what Elijah's saying there? He's basically saying, I've been in this prophetic ministry, this ministry you haven't even gotten started yet. It's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> ministry for God is not for those who are weak. There's a lot of challenges, a lot of opposition, a lot of enemies, a lot of obstacles. Elijah knows firsthand what awaits Elisha. And basically he's saying, what have I gotten you into? Now, obviously, Elisha, Elijah knows firsthand God took care of him. God supernaturally protected and provided and all of that. But he's simply saying to himself, you don't know yet really what you're getting into. And then this, Elisha went back, took his pair of oxen, slaughtered them, cooked the meat over a fire that he made, burned the harness and yoke, and gave the people meat to eat. This symbolized the total commitment of Elisha to the call of God. By burning what was, in a sense, his occupation at that point, he's saying, I'm not looking back. I am, I am just cutting my ties to this place. I may never see my family here again. I'm not going to put one foot in with God and one foot in here with the farming ministry. No, I am completely making a break. And I think that's one of the reasons why Elisha was so successful and faithful to the Lord because he wasn't trying to serve the Lord halfway and then do something else halfway. He was all in. It reminds me of what Jesus said when he said in Luke, no man can put their hand to the plow and look back and be fit for the kingdom of God. Not looking back. It's full steam ahead. And that was the heart of Elisha. If I'm going to do this, I am all in. I'm, I'm making a break, and I'm doing it with everything I've got. And then the Bible says, they got up, he and his family, and he followed Elijah and became his assistant or partner. Now, the word followed is a very important word. It means to walk the same road. In other words, Elijah and Elisha weren't just partners in ministry, the prophetic ministry. They were partners in life. They did life and ministry together. They shared the same purpose and passion in life. And God brought them together so that Elijah could encourage Elisha 
and so that Elisha could encourage Elijah. There was mutual support and encouragement going on here, mutual strengthening going on between these two. And what happened for the next probably 10 or so years before Elijah is taken up to heaven in that chariot that we're going to see in just a couple weeks. Partners, listen. God's provision will encourage you. God's presence will encourage you. God's purpose in your life will encourage you. And when God brings partners in your life, that's an encouragement. When you can share life and ministry with someone like Elijah and Elisha did, when you know someone's got your back, someone's alongside, you can call them, you can talk to them, you can process with, you can go through. That's huge. That's huge. Thank God for your partners. If you don't have a partner like that in some way, Ask God to give you one. Ask God to give you one. If you'd like to be somebody's partner, ask God to give you somebody like that. Because just as much as God's provision, presence, and purpose will encourage you, the right person, the right person, the person who complements and fits you will be a tremendous blessing to your life and one that you will be forever thankful for. What a God. He's willing to go out to our wilderness and meet us where we are. And maybe right now in your life, maybe you're on Mount Carmel. You're in a good place. You're tracking with God. Things are going good. You feel close to God. That's great. Recognize that at some point, you may get vulnerable. So stay in a good place. Keep relying on the provision, presence, purpose, and partner that God gives you to keep you there. But let's say tonight you're not. Let's say you're in the wilderness. God's right there with you, just as he was with Elijah. He wants to personally minister to you, as only God can. He wants to restore you and renew you and refresh you and refuel you so that you can get back into the flow of life and ministry again and not feel like you're all alone because he's with you. And he will bring just the right people into your life at the right time so that you don't feel all alone. The God of encouragement. May we thank him for the encouragement that he gives us each and every day. Let's pray. God, thank you tonight. On the eve of our day we set aside in this country for thanksgiving and to count our blessings, God, to remind ourselves of just what we have in you, God, who we are in you, God. May we pause long enough to be thankful for what we have, God. And to remind ourselves of all that we have in and through you every day. And God, may you 
Enable us and equip us and help us to be conscious of your presence in our life, even in the stillness and the quiet. Help us not to just, like Elijah, get used to seeing you in the spectacular, in the grand experiences, but help us to hear your gentle, calming voice speaking into our hearts and minds at all times through our days, through our weeks, through our months, and through our years, like even this year. And God, may we allow you, like Elijah did, to encourage us through your provision, through your presence, through your purpose, and through your partner. God, we bow before you tonight. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom we have eternal life and the forgiveness of sin, in whom we have a place in eternity forever. God, thank you for our salvation. Thank you that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you, God, that you know each one of us personally and call us by name. May we go from this place tonight filled with thanksgiving and gratitude and appreciation for all that we are and all that we have through you, our God. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here tonight, and thank you for bringing all the wonderful refreshment tonight. And please go out and have another two or three slices of pie before you leave tonight. God bless. We'll see you next week.